to help us think and and focus on the text I'd like to just remind you that sometimes we can say something plainly to somebody and for some reason it isn't very plainly received have you had that experience at any time that sometimes you will hear someone tell you likely someone married to you it's right under your nose you've probably had that occasion you you can see it you can see it plainly but to them it's could be a million miles away whether you're designing a carpentry project you know someone might be able to articulate to their satisfaction how clearly it should be built and you have or I have uh, an idea that is far removed from the originators idea staring at a tree line those of us who hunt know that that uh, sometimes one person can see something so much clearer than another or is what happened to me this week uh, the fish was exactly where she told me it was but having gone upstairs and down twice not being able to see it she was able to see it and you know what I'm talking about the point is that some things can be plainly seen and revealed and yet to some people what is plain is far from sight let me give you an example if you would turn to the book of Romans book of Romans chapter 1 Romans chapter 1 and I'm reading verse 18 for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth for what can be known about God is plain to them please don't miss that what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them for his invisible attributes namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made so they are without excuse this verse teaches us that in reality there is no atheist every human being ever born on this planet can plainly see that God exists and they can clearly discern his invisible attributes made clear to them of his omnipotence and his glory everybody can plainly see that there's God the problem therefore according to Paul has nothing to do with intellectual impairment the problem has to do with the heart the problem has to do with the heart 
The physical eyes and the brain only reflect what the heart, what is happening to the heart. The problem is not intellectual. It's a heart issue. Now going to our study this morning to the Gospel of John, chapter 10, we're going to run into this issue where the Pharisees want to see something plain from Jesus. And he simply says, I've already shown it to you. So the Gospel of John chapter 10, and I'm going to read verses 22 to 30. The Gospel of John chapter 10, verses 22 to 30. At that time, the Feast of Dedication took place at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me. But you do not believe because you're not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. And I and the Father are one. I'm presenting this passage to you and opening it to your hearts under four headings. First of all, Jesus plainly tells them that he is the Messiah. Secondly, Jesus plainly reveals to them that it's only the Father's sheep that can see. Thirdly, Jesus plainly taught them that God's sheep are eternally secure. And Jesus plainly teaches them that he is God. The question is, will we be able to see that? Will we be able to see what Jesus plainly reveals? And I would suggest to you that in and of ourselves we cannot. That's why we sing songs like, Open the Eyes of My Heart. Because we need the enabling grace of God to see these truths, even though they're plain. Because all of us gather today with heart issues. And so join me as I pray and ask God to open our hearts that we can see the plain things of his word. Thank you for your word, Father. Thank you that we have your word inscripturated. Many of us 
have it sitting on our laps in book form or other forms and we get to see it plainly. I pray, Lord, that the resistance and the obstacles and the things that would restrict us from clearly seeing what you have presented would be removed. That we would have that unction of the Holy Spirit that enables us to comprehend what is plainly and clearly written. But over and above that, I pray that having understood it, we would also be able to see the profit that there is in this for us as we leave this place and move into another week of ministry and service. So Lord, indeed, lean our hearts against your word. Open our eyes to see. And cause us to not only grasp the truth, but rejoice in it. For we ask this in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. Jesus plainly tells them that he is the Messiah. These Jews had just come out of an eight-day festival. In the translation that I read, it's called the Feast of Dedication. It's an eight-day festival. We know it today more commonly as Hanukkah. It's celebrated on December 25th. So having come from this joyous, celebrative event, they come out into the outer court, into Solomon's porch or portico or colonnade. They come out into this outer area and they meet Jesus. And they say to him what I've already emphasized, if you are the Christ, tell us plainly. And Jesus says, I did. I did. And he refers to all the works that he has already done in the Father's name that give testimony to the fact that he's the Messiah. Jesus referred to the miracles and the, and, and the, uh, the events that have taken place. Remember, this is nearly the end of his public ministry. It's it's only about three months between this point and when he will be crucified. That should tell you that John is going to spend the most of his gospel on those latter three months because we're only halfway. So Jesus has, has, has spent over two and a half years living and doing things in a way that clearly and plainly Tell the world, I'm the Messiah. The, cute, the, the, the collective evidence is astounding. Let me remind you of some, just briefly and quickly. Chapter 2, do you remember when Jesus cleared the temple? He said he did that in fulfillment of the prophecy of Malachi. The Messiah would come with a zeal for his father's house. He was telling them he was the Messiah. In John chapter 3, John the Baptist, who is the last Old Testament prophet, said that Jesus was indeed the Messiah. 
In chapter 4, Jesus healed a dying man's son, a nobleman's son, and didn't even go to the same location. In chapter 5, he called himself both the Son of God and the Son of Man. And the Son of Man is understood in the, in the book of Daniel as the Messiah. He clearly said, I'm the Son of Man, I'm the Messiah. In John chapter 6, he fed the 5,000 men plus how many women and children, and he miraculously walked on the sea. In chapter 7, at another festival, he read from Isaiah 55, and he said, those scriptures pertain to me. At the same festival, in chapter 7, or chapter 8, he did the same thing drawing from Isaiah 4. In chapter 9, he healed a blind man as a direct fulfillment of what the Messiah would do when he comes. And in chapter 10, he fulfills the prophecy of Ezekiel 34 as he is the good shepherd that was promised. Plainly tell us, are you the Messiah? I did. I did. There is ample proof. If a heart has been so changed by indeed the Holy Spirit, there is no problem believing that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. But they didn't see, did they? They didn't get it. I wonder why. Why were these people so dull? Why could they not see what was plain? I've already said the problem isn't their ears, it isn't their eyes, it isn't their brain. Why could they not see? What was the cause of their lack of perception? Why were they so insensitive to what is obvious? Why were they so dull? when everything was so apparent? The answer from our Lord and Savior is stunning. It's not an answer you and I would readily give. Why could they not see, having been shown plainly? The answer is in verse 26. And it is indeed provocative and stunning. You do not believe, Jesus said, because you are not among my sheep. Please understand that Jesus did not say, you are not my sheep because you haven't believed. That's the answer we would give in modern contemporary evangelicalism. The answer we would give is, you are not among his sheep because you haven't believed. Jesus did not say that. And he plainly said, you do not believe because you're not among my sheep. 
How do we understand that? As you probably are aware, this is a controversial topic. As you're probably aware, there are systems of theology that have risen up against this very statement. And having read as much as I can, I find that most of the commentaries and most of the arguments are quite inventive. But I would suggest what you already know to be true is that the, the answer to that question is found in the text. We don't need to import ideas. Scripture will interpret Scripture. So when Jesus says, the reason you don't believe is because you're not among my sheep, the only way that we're going to understand that statement is to go to the Scripture and discern the interpretation. My interpretation is not important, it's irrelevant, and humbly yours is also. What does the Holy Spirit say? Well, in our study we have already come across a very similar statement of Jesus Christ. He's already indicated some of the same ideas. So I invite you to turn back to John chapter 6. verse 35. Now we covered this previously. In verse 35 of John 6 we read, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. So you can understand why I would take your attention there. You see the parallel. You have seen me, but you do not believe. And then verse 37 says, All that the Father gives me will come to me. What's Jesus saying there? He's saying to these Jews, You have seen me, but do not believe. But all that the Father has given me will believe. They will come to me. They will exercise faith in me. He's making the same statement. The reason you don't believe is because you have not been given to me by the Father. John 6, we have this clear parallel. You have seen me, you don't believe, but all that the Father gives me will come to me. They will believe. In John 10, we have the same statement. You do not believe because you're not my sheep. I'm trying to say this clearly and plainly. John, when he writes this gospel, takes these two ideas, Christ's sheep and those that the Father has given the Son as synonymous ideas. 
In other words, as soon as we read sheep, we ought to be thinking, those are the ones given to the Son by the Father. They're parallel ideas. They're interchangeable. They're used interchangeably through the text. We see that in verse 29 of chapter 10. My sheep hear my voice. My Father who has given them to me. John is convinced by the Holy Spirit that the sheep that belong to Jesus are the same group gifted to him by the Father. In other words, you could paraphrase verse 26 by saying, you do not believe because you've not been given to me by the Father. And you'd be saying the identical thing. You don't believe because the Father's not given you to me. You don't believe because you're not my sheep. All this, beloved, affirms the biblical truth that the decisive, determinative cause of spiritual awakening and faith is the Father. The decisive, determinative cause of spiritual faith is the Father. Thus Jesus could say, the reason you don't believe is you're not my sheep. You're not among my sheep. Jesus could say, the reason you don't believe is you haven't been given to me by the Father. Of course, some of you are thinking that well, this removes all human responsibility. The answer is obvious, my friends, if you listen. It's plain. This does not remove responsibility. This enables responsibility. Because if the Father did not act prior, nobody would believe. If the Father did not act antecedent, to faith, nobody would believe. It in fact enables responsibility because Jesus says, when I call my sheep, they hear me and they get up and they follow me. So you think this isn't just a bizarre gymnastics? Turn a couple chapters over to John 17. And I want you to look at verse 2. You'll recall that Jesus is, is praying to the Father. We now have fast-forwarded these three months. He's ready to go to the cross. This is called his high priestly prayer. And we have insight into what Jesus says to the Father. And of course, what's on his heart mostly is that he would be glorified on the cross, that he would be lifted up and glorified. Then verse 2, he says, Since you have given him, speaking of himself, authority over all flesh, now watch this, to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. It's the same idea. All who are given to the Son by the Father, He gives eternal life to. 
One other verse just to leave this in your hearts is Acts chapter 13. Acts chapter 13, verse 48. Acts chapter 13, verse 48. Paul, of course, is on his missionary journey and reporting. He says, and when the Gentiles heard this, speaking of the gospel... They began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believe. Again, brothers and sisters, the normal rhetoric you will hear in the churches today is, as many as believed were appointed to eternal life. That's not the plain text of Scripture plain text of Scripture is as many as were appointed to eternal life. They believed. Why is it so important for you to understand this doctrine? And when I address this, I'm not speaking to believers. I'm speaking perhaps to someone here this morning who has never ever trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior. Why is it important for you to know that nothing spiritually can happen to you unless the Father moves upon your heart? If you're a Christian, this is plain. And there should be no dispute. But if you're not a Christian this morning, you might wonder about why the pastor of this church would take this text and say to you that unless the Father moves upon you, you'll never ever believe. It sounds hopeless. It sounds discouraging. And in a sense, it's meant to be. If you're not a Christian this morning, I want to tell you that unless the Father moves upon your heart, you do not have the ability to trust him. And I say that so you will recognize how hopeless your situation is. I say that so you will recognize how desperate your situation is. I say that so you will recognize that the only thing that you can possibly do if you have some sort of desire to put your faith in Christ is to cry out to him for help. I want to remove all sense that you can do this on your own. I want to remove all sense that you're able to on your own Trust Christ and follow him. Jesus said to born again, redeemed people. In John 15 verse 5. Apart from me you can do nothing. And if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian. If a Christian can't do anything of value without Christ. My goodness you can do even less. You are blind. If you're not a Christian, you're blind 
need the great physician to open your eyes. It's interesting as John put his gospel together that he exemplifies, illustrates this on both ends of this chapter. In chapter 9 he illustrates a blind man who was blind from birth who could do nothing to see but Jesus came and opened his eyes. And when he opened his eyes physically, he opened his eyes spiritually, and the man trusted in him. And in a few weeks, we're going to see on the other chapter, chapter 11, another illustration of a dead man in a tomb by the name of Lazarus, who couldn't even blink an eye until the Savior said, Lazarus, come forth. Jesus plainly taught, he plainly taught that it's only the Father's sheep that can see. He also plainly taught, number three, that God's sheep are eternally secure. God's sheep are eternally secure. Look at verses 27 through to 29. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of, my, out of the Father's hand. This is the most beautiful presentation of the security of the Christian. Of all scripture, this is the most beautiful presentation of our preservation and our protection from the Good Shepherd. Note the language that Jesus uses. Sometimes we say, and we, there's, we even sing, no one is able to snatch them out of my hand, Jesus says. And then he adds emphasis to that and says, guess what? It's just not my hand. No one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. This is a two-handed, two-personed hold of security. It's as if Jesus, if you don't think I can keep you, my Father, who's greater than I, He can sure keep you. He can sure keep you. I want you also to notice that the way, the language that Jesus uses, he says, I give them eternal life and they will never perish. Never perishing is accompanied, it's an accompanying part of eternal life, and both of them are gifts. Now this is going to challenge you, beloved, and I want you to see it. Eternal life, eternal security and preservation is a gift. You cannot earn it. You do not merit it. You cannot buy it. We surely don't deserve it. It's a gift. It's a gift. I hear no one talking this language, the language of the Holy Scriptures. As many Christians who want to debate and discuss this, I hear no one saying this. Hold it. Stop the presses. 
It's a gift. Eternal life, eternal preservation, eternal security is a gift. Let's not also forget another character of the Lord's sheep includes obedience. They know the shepherd. They follow him. They're guaranteed eternal life and permanent protection. All the resources of the Godhead are keeping them, are holding them. Eternal life is given to them. It's not earned by them. They themselves are given to Christ. And they are given eternal life. And Christ promises protection for his sheep. And no one is able to snatch them out of his hand. Eternal life is given to the sheep. And sheep are sheep who hear his voice. And follow him. And the warning, please hear the warning. There's a warning here. If you hear this, if you're sitting here this morning in this auditorium, if you're listening to this message by another means, hear the warning. If you're not following Jesus, if you're not listening to his word and following Jesus, there is no promise of eternal security for you. We have such a light and superficial view of salvation. We think people are eternally secure just because they say, well, I'm a Christian. That is not the identifier of a Christian. A sheep is someone who hears the voice and follows Jesus. And I would fail you. I would fail you miserably if I didn't tell you that if you're not following Jesus, there is no promise of eternal security in this text. None. If you're not listening to the shepherd's voice, if, if, if you're not a person that is driven and motivated and moved on a daily basis, yes, I said daily basis, to hear the voice of the shepherd, to obey and to follow him, we can offer no eternal security to you. Because Christ's sheep, the ones the Father has given to Christ, they are ones who hear his voice and follow him. And to them he gives eternal life. And to them they will not perish. Nor can anyone pluck them out of my hand, Jesus said, nor out of the hand of my Father who is greater than I. Jesus has plainly taught that he's the Messiah. Jesus has plainly taught that belief or faith is given to those whom the Father has given to the Son. Jesus has clearly taught that eternal security is given to the sheep. And he concludes this dialogue 
by saying that I am plainly God. Look again at verse 30. I and the Father are one. Now for you scholars, for you students of the Bible, you mature. What is the, what is the well-known, significant confession of Jewish people from all ages? It's found in Deuteronomy 6, verse 4. It's called the Shema, based on the very first word in that verse, listen, or hear. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Now, you, please understand this. These Jews are around Jesus, and Jesus has just said, I and my Father are one. And they clearly, plainly know that Moses said, God is one. Now, you, are you working with me here? So if the Bible is true that God is one, and Jesus says, my Father and I, notice the distinction of persons, are one, Jesus is giving one of the clearest, plainest statements of the Trinity. I and my Father, that's two individuals, are one. And the Bible says God is one. Therefore, Jesus is saying, I'm God. And to these people, it's plain. That might not be plain to some of you this morning. I hope it is. But it was plain to them because in the very next section that we pick up on another Sunday, they took up stones and tried to kill him. They understood exactly what Jesus was saying. At the beginning, I told you that Jesus emerged from Solomon's porch and the Jews had been celebrating Hanukkah. In the year 176 B.C., let that register, 176 B.C., before Christ, Antiochus Epiphanes IV, a Syrian commander, so you picture Israel and Syria's up here, invaded Palestine and he desecrated the temple and destroyed Jewish worship. There was a royal priest, a rural priest in Israel named Mattathias who gathered his sons and formed a guerrilla army, a revolt against Antiochus, and this small band of guerrillas called the Maccabees assaulted this large Syrian army, conquered it, and in the year 165, remember 176 to 165, they restored the worship to Jerusalem, they restored the temple, and they had a celebration of dedication, and they decided that they would celebrate that event every year afterwards. And it's called then the celebration of dedication. They would light the lights on the menorah, 
and therefore it got, we later became known as Hanukkah. The day that the that the day that it was dedicated was December 25th in the Jewish calendar. These men emerged from the temple having celebrated for eight days the victory of the Maccabees over the Syrian army. And yet 100 years after that victory, the entire Roman Empire led a massive movement across what we know today as Europe in the Middle East. And Israel then became captive under the oppression of Rome. You say, why are you saying this? I'm getting to the point. I've had to go slowly here. Here's something I saw. These Jews left an eight-day, short-lived celebration of a temporary victory and stared in the eyes of permanent victory and wouldn't believe them. Do you see that? They celebrated a short-lived 100-year victory and discarded an eternal victory that the Messiah offered. In the words of Jim Elliot, they were fools. He said, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. These Jews at this time were fools. They celebrated a short-lived temporary victory and denied an eternal victory through the Messiah. couldn't help but wonder if that isn't a statement of us today. Jesus plainly says he's the Messiah. He plainly says that the Father is the initiator. The Father is the determiner, the decisive factor in everyone's belief. He plainly says that all who belong to Christ are eternally secure forever. He says plainly, I am God. And yet there are people today, perhaps in this room, who will leave here and set their affections and their joys on short-lived short excitement and will not put their faith in one who offers eternal satisfaction. If you're here this morning and you're a fool, if you have not trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and you believe that God is working in your heart right now, if you sense a strange warmth and a movement towards the things of God, I plead with you today, do not turn away from him. 
that could very well be the voice of the Savior calling you. Don't give up a few days pleasure on this earth for eternal satisfaction in heaven. There's also a message here for a Christian. Peter actually is the one who announces this application for you and I as believers. He says, Dearly beloved, in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 10 and following, he says, Dearly beloved, confirm your calling and election. We cannot create our calling. We cannot create our election. But as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, we are to live every day in confirmation of that calling. What he means is that we are to be sheep who hear his voice and follow him. That's what confirms whether we're in Christ. If God is by the Holy Spirit has been speaking to a Christian here today, can I plead with you to repent? And don't be a fool. Christ comes and says, I am the Messiah. I am God. I offer you eternal life. I offer you eternal security. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that you would make plain to what seems to be unclear to anyone this morning. Prior to this message we sang, I don't know how the Spirit moves convicting men of sin, nor do I know how the Spirit creates faith in them. But we know that you do. We don't know the hows. We don't have all the answers, but we know that you do. So I plead with you, Father, that even in this auditorium this morning, that you would stir our hearts to trust you greater in deeper measure that we would be recognized as people who listen to the word of God, who follow Christ in all our times and days, and that you would be glorified. So as we conclude this very clear, plain chapter, Lord, I pray that you would see in our hearts a willingness to follow you that indeed you would take our lives and cause them to be a blessing to others and a glory to the name of Jesus. For we pray this in his name. Amen.